21. Blackjack. 13. I will take it away then. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Casting of the Cantrip, the bi-weekly podcast about D&D and other RPGs. I am your host, Ange, who is furiously trying to work out this riddle above this door here. And I am the other host, John, and I'm just going to ready my axe. No, you can't break down the door. It says right here. Attack roll. Get... I got it. I don't know what the AC on a door is, but I think you got it. <laughs> you <laughs> like an 18. Nice. <laughs> nice. Today we're doing puzzles, which is good, because if we don't figure out this riddle, we can't get out of our recording room, so we better figure no, this out and, soon. Uh, we did just clean it, so it's a little nicer in here, but... Um, There's no food. It's small. Yes. Uh, lighting isn't actually very good. Uh, the acoustics are, though. Yes. We've worked very hard on the acoustics. But I'm thirsty, and you have the only drink. Yep. But first, even before Homebrew Spotlight, um, we're bi-weekly. Yep. Which, bi-weekly has a lot of uh, things it, about it. It could mean twice a week. That's not what it means. Or it could be once every other week, so like roughly twice a month. We're going to be do putting out episodes t- once every other week because we've already been doing that for like half a year now since we started getting off schedule back. Back when Jenny got sick. <laughs> back when Jenny got sick. Um, and we've only gotten busier since then. I mean, on the bright side, we've gotten busier doing stuff like we've gotten involved in more games, more um, conventions, and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. In fact, we even picked up two more for next year. We know we're not always going to be on track, um, and mm-hmm. we haven't been for a while. So at this point, it's just, yeah, we're bi-weekly. Yeah, we're, like, we've been, like you said, we've been bi-weekly. We're just... Honest call, about it. Yeah, we're just honest <laughs> we're about just it honest now. We're just honest about it now. Um, <laughs> because we really don't want to, we don't want to give up doing the podcast. It's just so hard to do the more work we take on. I think that's yeah. just how work happens. And I hope all of our listeners who have been with us for a long time understand that. I think, you know, it, it's come to be expected, but it's important to be honest about it. Yes, definitely. And now that's the last cryptic thing that we're going to say this entire episode, because it's right back into the puzzles. Yes. And we're going to start this week by kicking it off with our Homebrew Spotlight. This week's Homebrew Spotlight is simply entitled Puzzles and Riddles and comes to us from content creator Eric A. Hawley on DMs Guild. Mm -hmm. And this fantastic document is just 18 pages of riddles and puzzles, both door puzzles and object puzzles. And it's it's a fantastic resource. I love some of these. There's they look so fun. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about it, right off the bat, uh, the first couple of pages are just riddles. Uh, no cell phones at the table because some of them might be a little Googleable. But mm-hmm. but um, the puzzle section, the part that I like the best because I'm not particularly good at coming up with puzzles myself, are all designed around the idea of using the grid. Um, you know, playing them in D and D. You know, having your nice little play mat and actually having stuff set up and letting your players work out things. Let's go over a couple of the riddles first, just because they're in the beginning and it's fun to read riddles. Mm-hmm. What gets bigger the more you take out of it? Uh, uh, hmm. Huh. I'm not good at riddles. <laughs> give me another one. Before you can keep it, first you must give it. Give me another one. How many letters are in the answer to this riddle? Four. Correct. You may pass. Cool, can I leave this room? 
No. Okay, well, all right, let's, let's just keep doing the episode and see if maybe one of these puzzles that we do today gets us out of here. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm better at the mathy ones. I'm actually better at like the visual ones too. So how about we scroll down and go to the actual puzzles part? Riddles are great, but uh, if anybody else knows the answers, you can just go ahead and leave them in the comments and show me up. Okay, so here's one that I like particularly because it's so simple. So, in this puzzle, the characters find a bottle stopped with a cork, the top of which extends past the top of the bottle by about an inch. Inside the bottle, they can see, that's our key. Our key is in this bottle. Okay. Um, There's no bottles in this room. I'm sticking to the narrative. Go with it. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> uh, two additional facts make getting the object out more difficult. First, the bottle is unbreakable. No mundane or magical means will allow the characters to break open the bottle. Second, no matter how hard they try, they are unable to pull the cork from the bottle, and the cork can not, neither be destroyed or broken into pieces. <laughs> that is the entirety of the puzzle. That's the whole setup. Um, can I just push the cork in? That is the solution. Great! Again, there's no bottles in this room, so... So we still we still can't get out. Yeah, all right. I think the answer to this puzzle is finish the recording. Oh no, <laughs> our one weakness. Anyway, point is, is that's a pretty good sampling of you know what you can find in this whole document. There's there are a ton of puzzles. It would be difficult to explain the ones that you know actually use the grid and everything, but. The, one of the ones that you pointed out that I kind of really like is akin to the, like, the ice gym puzzles from the third gen Pokemon games. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the characters enter a room and they have to step on every square of the room without crossing each other's paths. Yes, and they have to fill every single square in, along that path mm -hmm. and get to the assigned designations for which uh, that match the door they enter the room in. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a destination you have to hit, and every nobody can cross each other's path. It's really interesting. I like it. Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that where you have all the players actually like working together and engaged on the same thing at the same time. Like, you have to be. There's no choice. I like stuff like that. They're the kinds of things I wish I could incorporate more into my games. Uh, and that's why I will be taking this document from you, and you will not be using these because I can't have you knowing the answers. <laughs> You'll get your phone back later, okay, honey? <laughs> so, yeah, that was Puzzles and Riddles by Eric A. Hawley. I definitely recommend going and checking that out. It is a great buy, and it will, it'll last you a while. There's a lot of stuff in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you could probably remix and reuse some of the stuff just a little bit. Since you have the solutions, reverse engineering anything to have it better fit your players means that you can redo some stuff, you know, to taste. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the puzzles can be used sort of androgynously. If you want it to be a physical, like, puzzle box object that you pick up, that's great. If you want it to be part of a door as the locking mechanism, that also works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very versatile. Puzzles are good like that. They are. Okay. So, short, short homebrew spotlight today. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go over, like, when we came up with this idea, we've been sitting on the idea to do a puzzles episode for a very long time. Uh, because we both use puzzles in our campaigns differently, so we both had to, like, really look into the different stuff we wanted to talk about. But also, it's difficult to talk about something and not give the solution for it for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically with this one, if we just sat here and read all of our favorite puzzles and then answered them, 
<laughs> They'd be totally useless. Yeah, they wouldn't be any good. Um, that would like it would ruin the point of you know checking it out for yourself, and it would also ruin the mystery for anybody who actually wants to solve the riddle. So we only did a couple. Yes. Yeah. We only. We didn't want to spoil any of the really good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that bottle puzzle is pretty good. The bottle puzzle is so, so good. It's so clever. I wonder if there's a way to reconstruct that. I've done a couple of things in campaigns where I've used physical props. So you guys would be like interacting with something real and then like get notes and keys. I baked a key into bread for you guys once. Mm-hmm. Totally did it wrong, but I yeah. fucking did it. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to bake the bread and then insert the key. I think you're supposed to like do it in layers, actually. Like, you're supposed to, because you want it to be in there, so you're supposed to, like, wait for it to bake partially and then insert the key and then... Well, you also put a letter in there that totally got messed up. Okay, whatever. (laughs) It was still a fun idea. Like I said, the physical puzzles aren't really my forte, which is why you're going to talk about them. (laughs) Okay. So, physical puzzles are... Like what we just described, the the bottle puzzle is a good example, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of other good examples where they're used for locking mechanisms. I think one that everyone's going to recognize is the door locks in Skyrim. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and uh, Skyrim uses multiple kinds of door locks. They use the ones where you have to you know match up the the statues mm-hmm. with uh, symbols that are sort of hidden around the room. Which is a good way of doing it, and that's one that works well in D&D. Yeah. They let you make a couple of skill checks, you know, spot, or, um, sorry, perception. Uh, perception and investigation for finding the clues, and then once the party has all the clues, it's just a matter of putting them in the correct order. Mm-hmm. So that one's not too difficult yeah. uh, for Anything with either. a basic combination, really. Yeah, like, basic combination locks are pretty easy, both on you as the DM... And on the party as far as trying to figure it out. Unless you have a party that really just does not like to listen to each other. Which does happen, but... Or you have one person who, you know, they get frustrated and they're like, I can't make these checks in the game. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. Maybe your barbarian dumped their in, you know, just classic barbarian stuff. And maybe they just want to smash the door down. The, they're not going to, but they're going to try. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, having like a, a sort of like backdoor way in is always a good idea. Having a, a, a backup plan for if your party just can't figure it out. And for those sort of things, it's it's like the, uh, the timed ones that can sometimes be a problem. If you're not explicitly trying to run a death trap dungeon, if you have a timed puzzle, make it be something the party can get out of. Don't, don't do like the crushing walls trap sort of idea. Mm-hmm. That's probably not your best goal because that's just you planning on killing people. If you know your party's not going to handle that one well, just don't use it. Say when the timer runs out, a demon gets summoned and they have to fight it. Yeah, that's always a better option for anything that's timed is it's you either figure it out or something, a difficult encounter. Something that's definitely hard, maybe even deadly. So -hmm. they have an opportunity, but there is incentive. There has to be incentive. Like if it's just the room fills with a zombie, it's like... Whack the zombie. We're done. Can we keep on moving? Yeah, I had a DM who actually ran a a room like that once. The party enters the room. They're locked in. Uh, the only way forward is through the other door in the room, but it's locked by a puzzle. 
uh, I forget what the actual, because it was a riddle puzzle, and I forget what the actual riddle was, but I know the answer to it was time, because I remember figuring it out right away, but this was our DM, uh, our DM after we solved the riddle was like, yeah, I ran this for another group a while back, and they were just like, yeah, we're just going to wait for the time to run out and fight it, because we know we can't solve it. So I was like, okay, that's that's your backup yeah, plan. Yeah, valid. It's if beating, valid. If beating the monster opens the door, just fight the monster. Like, if that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to have, with physical puzzles, more than one solution. And, of course, the classic one is, you know, locking somebody in a room. The only issue I've ever had with trying to run stuff like this, and this is why I usually just defer to basic traps in a dungeon. You know this. My dungeons are just, oh, there's a trap over here, something for you to find. Mm -hmm. It's because a lot of these, everybody has already seen the puzzle that I'm trying to run, mostly because I get a lot of my inspiration from playing video games. Like you mentioned Skyrim, mm -hmm. Pokemon, stuff like that. Um I, I see those puzzles and I like them. I think they're great. And when I'm playing d and I'm like, ooh, fun puzzle for me to figure out. But when I'm running them, I don't know what it is. I just feel like everybody's like, oh, okay, just give us the solution already. This is a very simple puzzle and we would like to go and fight the next monster. And it's like, it was supposed to be well thought out. I guess I'm just not good at creating puzzles. <laughs> but I think the real thing that it shoots me in the foot is when I try to create a puzzle, it's too simple. Um... And I do take puzzles from stuff like other games. Like I said, I'm inspired by those. So maybe it's just because I do something. I always tend to take from something I'd seen recently. Um, so everybody else also has seen this recently and just knows what's going on. I'm not surprising anybody's my problem. Yeah, sometimes it is better to use maybe an older one because something you, you might think at first is like, oh, if it's old, that means everyone's seen it. But that's not always the case, and even if they have seen it, like, I know when I first started playing D&D, &D, my first DM really liked incorporating a lot of riddles and puzzles into his, uh, into his dungeons and his adventures, and some of those stuck with me. In fact, a lot of them stuck with me, but not perfectly. So I still, to this day, I've got a soft spot for, like, half-remembered riddles and puzzles that I know I've solved in the past, and I'm like, oh, but this, this is a new character. I have to relearn this again. And and it can feel really cathartic, you know? <laughs> I have approximate knowledge of many things. <laughs> I, I can't remember what the creature's name is from Adventure Time, but, like, that episode stuck out with me. I almost know where you are. <laughs> That's how I felt all the way through college, too. But, yeah, like, grabbing uh, grabbing an older puzzle that you liked when you were a child... Something like that would probably be really helpful. And I'm going to be honest here. Uh, there have been times where I needed a quick puzzle right before I started a session because I knew I wanted one but hadn't bothered or had time to look it up beforehand. So I'll quickly Google puzzles for toddlers. <laughs> and the last time I did that, my party was stumped for two hours. So <laughs> There... There is something about the way that you express your puzzles and your riddles that's important, too. Yes, like it's, it's all the, about the flavor. Yeah, it, No, it's really just the expression of it. If you just give your players a riddle to solve, it tends to be pretty easy, you know? You just figure out the answer to the riddle. And yeah, somebody in the party's probably heard the answer to the riddle, um, 
but sometimes just framing it in a different way, giving it all of the extra trappings of being part of a dungeon door or linked to a trap. Yeah, so if... It'll throw him off a little bit and make him have to rethink it. Yeah, if, if there's some risk to it, that definitely... It makes people more cautious, uh, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, having a visual puzzle, it's, it is kind of rare that we have visual puzzles that we have full control over. Uh, back to the whole video game thing. When you have, like, literally you're the one putting the pieces on the mat and somebody is telling you what the rules are, that changes everything from, like, a game that has, like, there's strict interactions that you can make. Mm-hmm. Having, like, the full range of, well, can I pick this up and look at it? It's really mostly people starting to overthink what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, which actually leads into a fun story. One that's kind of just been passed down throughout D&D uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the button story. The the countdown the puzzle. Countdown, the countdown I l- puzzle. I love the countdown puzzle. I've never used it. I haven't but... either because I know a lot of... It's, it's popped back up recently. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to wait for it to die and then do the countdown puzzle and freak out your friends. Um... But basically, the countdown puzzle is you're trapped in a room. There, When you walk into the room... The door seals behind you. The door seals behind you. There's a door in front of you. There's a countdown. And in the room, there is a button. And you have to press the button to start the countdown. And then you have to wait for the countdown to end so the doors open up. Yep. That's it. But the key, like the trick to why this could be so stressful and why it makes players overthink it is, say... From 20 down to 11. So you, it counts down from 20. From 20 to 11, just a normal countdown. Then when it hits 10, maybe the the numbers on the countdown change color to a, something a little more threatening. Like they go from blue or green to like orange or yellow. Mm-hmm. And then when they hit 5, they turn red. Uh, maybe the, the room starts flashing the closer you get to 0. Like, so, so you're inducing a little bit of extra stress, and it's just to see if the party can hold it together long enough and not panic long enough to actually test out all of their options. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is just start putting stuff in the room to threaten them. Maybe the walls are lined with weapons, so they think that they're going to get into some, like, Battle Royale-style situa- <laughs> situation. I'm trying to say scenario and situation at the same time. It just Scenario? Became... <laughs> it's going to be scenario. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, putting different things in the room that might key everybody into what's going to happen. Ooh, look at all of these giant red herrings all over the wall. Mm-hmm. Ooh, just like, just just over-describing the whole room. Being as descriptive as possible. But, you know, really you just have to let the countdown happen. Mm-hmm. There are so many good stories of when like people were surprised by this puzzle I think the reverse of that, too, would just be like, okay, and then the countdown timer goes, and you actually do have to fight something. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. I just had to wait for that to give me a big, scary fight. Not yeah. not a deadly or hard encounter like I suggested before, but something level appropriate. Yeah. And uh, either way, regardless of how you use it, it sort of functions like a, like a palate cleanser for the rest of your adventure, mm-hmm. too. So if you plan on having a lot of hard puzzles and traps and difficult encounters... You can sort of use the the countdown room as like a an intro. It's literally the simplest possible puzzle. It is don't push the button or just wait. Yeah, it's it's just wait and the door opens and it sort of, you know, like clears your players' heads a little bit, sort of teaches them like you know, you don't have to overthink everything. 
maybe the scenario isn't quite as bad as you thought it was. <laughs> I was just going to edit myself, but now I can't. So this isn't future Ange being lazy. This is current John being a jerk. Yep. <laughs> I'm just trying out different, you know, different techniques. We're still locked in this room, so... Okay, how about we try something different as far as how puzzles are actually incorporated into this? Because, one, I'm just kind of sick of saying puzzle. Uh, and two, I want to talk about my very favorite type of encounter, haunts. Now, we've talked about haunts in the past before. Yes, I we have, have. I've spared no time on haunts, uh, but I'll talk about them again because I like bringing them up. And officially, there's no rules for them outside of Pathfinder 1, so... Not that I know of, no. No. So it's a good thing to just kind of keep in the back of your mind, something to try to incorporate into. It It works in other games. There's really no reason why it wouldn't. Uh, but let's explain what they are first. They are puzzle encounters. Sort of. They sort of bridge the gap between the two. Mm-hmm. Essentially what you have is something is going to trigger the haunt. It can be as simple as just walking through a do- doorway, coming into a new room, uh, spotting something. You're... Mm-hmm going through, you make a proper investigation check, or you pick something up, you take particular interest in something, and now you're having an experience. You had no control over that. You were just mm-hmm. you were just milling around, doing your adventure thing, putting your grubby little hands on whatever you wasn't nailed down, because that's how you do, <laughs> and now you're having an experience. Yeah, you might get a save against some of the effects of the experience, but if there's a vision, you're going to see the vision. If there's a physical feeling it's going to be described your yes. character feels this chill they suddenly they see a vision maybe they start to go into something that's a little more dangerous they have the experience of drowning or just they have to make a check a save to you know overcome some overwhelming experience that they feel like they're having it's not mm-hmm. really happening to them but they feel like they're having yeah it sort of crosses the barrier between a trap and like a possession mm-hmm your your experiences are being overlapped with that of someone who's died. Usually in some horrific way, because why would you call it a haunt otherwise? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, these experiences, they can be whatever. Flavor them however you like. There's a couple of suggestions out there in the ether. Just Google them. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy to just like, oh, set trap, trap goes off, now you have an experience. But here's where it gets interesting. Instead of disarming a trap, you usually have to perform an action or make a check of some sort that is going to prevent that from happening again. Yes, in order to solve the haunt, you do actually defeat the haunt, and haunts have hit points, but they don't take damage in the way that a normal creature would. I mean, some can, but but there's way more options for it. In my experience, usually what you have to do is you have to, as a party or as an individual, you have to do the thing that, you know, stops the possession from happening. It's very poltergeisty. Mm-hmm. Um, did you disturb the body in the backyard? Well, now you have to rebury it and perform a ceremony and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's like defeating a ghost. Mm-hmm. It is like defeating a ghost, but, you know, most people, ghosts are in the DMG. You could just fight a ghost. Yes. And maybe if your haunt progresses enough where you're ignoring things, you do end up fighting a ghost or other sorts of undead that might be creeping about. Very good for your Halloween-esque haunted house type thing. Or if you just have a creepy um, undead-filled world, you can sprinkle these into Curse of Strahd. It'd be great. They would be. They would definitely fit in very well here. Um, And they are a good build-up for these small encounters that you put together uh, in order to 
maybe take on something bigger that's deeper if you're like low level and you need to take on a high level undead using all of these little haunts to kind of weaken that undead to a point where you can actually defeat it or you gain enough favor from the spirits that you've helped that they will aid you in your battle. Mm-hmm. That is always a good good thing to have. I feel like you're alluding to something here. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and explain <laughs> yours because your uh, the Fort Holly haunts were really good. Yes, uh, I had an adventure in a Pathfinder game that I ran a couple years back for you and Jenny, and I just called it The Haunting of Fort Holly because I thought that sounded... Uh, grandiose and clever enough to be cool. And I guess it worked out. But uh, Fort Holly is just this abandoned keep at the top of a hill. And the fort had been abandoned since, at least according to the rumors, Commander Holly himself had led a bunch of barbarian raiders in to murder all of his subordinates. And no one's been in since. Well, as it turns out, Commander Holly's ghost is still wandering the parapets of this small little castle at the top of this hill. And trapped inside is the one who actually betrayed everyone. There's a dread wraith trapped inside of a magical circle. And anyone who's ever looked up a dread wraith in the DMG knows that no level four party of adventurers is going to be fighting this thing. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. No. But Commander Holly was a very high-level adventurer in, in his own day, and he maintains most of his power. But he's so busy suppressing all of the haunted forces that are imbued within this castle that he can't defeat his archenemy. He's too busy making sure that the rest of the evil in the castle doesn't spill out and attack the nearby town. Mm-hmm. So it falls on the adventurers to enter Fort Holly and lay all of Sir Holly's subordinates to rest so that he can go and defeat the evil and finally complete his own unfinished business. And thus the entire uh, exorcism is complete. Mm-hmm. And you had various things. You, you kind of told a nice little story. So when we first entered in, uh, we had visions of the actual attack that had happened. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had a feeling for what was going on. We had solved a couple of haunts at first. I believe you did the fireplace one. That's just a classic the, one you can look up. The The forge. Yeah. For me, it was it was the forge, mm-hmm. but it was a fireplace one. Uh, you have to keep a fire lit overnight. Oh, right. That wasn't the forge. That was the watch light, the watchtower. Oh, right. You, you had a couple. Yeah, I had a, I had a watchtower that the party had to keep burning from dusk until dawn. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the, the lovers on the roof mm-hmm. where two party members had to kiss. Aw. <laughs> uh, there was one at the forge. I forget what the solution to the forge one was. I forget which one. But you actually did. got something out of that, too, when we you did. completed it. We also found... We found a couple of other personal items that I believe we had to lay a few personal items to rest mm-hmm. because people were tied to the items that they had. Uh, um, I think the saddest one was the the serving girl in the well. Yeah, drowning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone had to go through all the stages of drowning until they'd failed all of them, at which point the haunt was defeated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that was... That was Jenny's character, unfortunately. Yeah. That uh, was really rough. It was rough. But there was a in the end there was a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Or mild, it, mildly. It was a ending. happy ending. Uh, every all of the spirits were laid to rest. We completed the haunts. And we went to go actually face the Dread Wraith. Uh, we played slap hands in front of him for a little while just to tick him off, because that was fun. 
And then we broke the magic circle that was sealing him and just let Sir Holly do his thing. Because mm-hmm. we weren't about to get involved in that fight. Nope. But we got involved in everything else. So it still felt very triumphant. Like, it yes. felt really good because, you know, of course, then Sir Holly... Actually, he didn't get laid to rest in your particular version, but that's because you have plans for him. Right. Although, you know, allowing him to pass on to, if you use something similar to this, allowing, you know, the evil to be defeated and the good to, like, finally be vindicated, that would be really cool. Yes. Yeah. And you can do sort of a lot of these tricks in 5th uh, edition as well. They're not that difficult to bring forward. Yeah, it's just a matter of figuring out what the appropriate skills and descriptions are that you're going to give to everything. You know, set set good time limits of, like, you have to do this over the period of time where you normally take a long rest or something like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, just different wording. I did this similarly in uh, a 5th edition campaign where everybody was transported into a burnt-out manor, and their haunts just alluded to the big battle. And by experiencing all of those things, they got clues on how to actually fight the battle it wasn't anything about being able to really solve anything they had to go through the fight but they knew what the weaknesses were going into it because they had a lot of undead so they knew their specific weaknesses and they were able to find items along the way that would help them as they were also low-level characters going up against things that would normally be kind of difficult to face off against Mm -hmm. especially because they didn't have a cleric in the party at the time they were Well, that's how the party got split. It was a split-the-party scenario where we were, we were co-DMing, and I took them into this room and, and kind of buffed them up. Yeah, your party got the cleric. My party got... My party got the... I think it was a paladin, but they were level one paladins, so uh, I couldn't do that much. Our cleric didn't come in until after the haunts, which was oh. <laughs> great. It was a good role-play moment, because we had, we had already had that planned out with somebody who knew <clears throat> they were coming in later, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a good time, and it, it works in 5th edition. Just what we're describing is... It takes a little bit of creativity, a little bit of pre-planning. It doesn't have a backdoor brute force way of stopping it, which if you really want to incorporate, you know, something that your players have to experience and figure out, the checks aren't very difficult. Nobody has to sit here and, like, Google answers to riddles or anything like that. You just have to do something that you're perfectly capable of performing within the context of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but there really isn't another way out of it. So, like, yeah, you do have to make those checks. You do have to yeah, I'd know, say, go through the experience. Uh, I'd say given the framework of 5th edition, maybe the other way of doing them would be having obviously difficult or even functionally impossible saves for some things and just say that to clear the haunt, you must experience the same things. Mm-hmm. So uh, Similar to what I did with the, the experience of drowning in the well. Mm-hmm. as one of my haunts because you immediately wake up afterwards but damn if that wasn't a terrifying and painful experience leading up to it yeah yeah and it could definitely leave your character with some uh interesting scars or mental scars yeah oh, don't don't dang. be afraid to pull out the insanity table in the dmg afterwards <laughs> might actually work really well in call of cthulhu too like way better we're talking no, I'm, about 5th edition, but Call of Cthulhu would play I don't know. With this. We, we haven't read the DM section of Call of Cthulhu yet because we're only players. <laughs> I kind of like only being players, though. We're going to talk about Call of Cthulhu soon. Oh, yes. Yes. But that is a tale for another day. Uh, maybe put a pin in Hans right now. We're okay. not playing the campaign <laughs> at the moment. However, let's go on to our very last puzzly type thing, and that is puzzle actual encounters, not haunts. Correct. I feel like I had to make it. <laughs> I had to make that. 
fights with puzzle elements. Yes, and I actually used some of these at Yomakon. They were great. I used some of these in the past in my adventures, and they seem to be some of the most memorable boss battles. Mm -hmm. They tend to work well as boss battles. Let's start with that. All right, so one of the most basic options you can do that isn't straight pulled out of a monster's entry, because some of them have built in. Uh, say you have a monster, maybe it's an elemental, but its type changes every round or two. So you can only hit it with different elements every other every couple rounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, there you go. You've got a puzzle puzzle monster. <laughs> like they're not they don't have to be complicated, but sometimes when they are, mint. <laughs> uh, on your you know idea of things having resistances and changing effects like that, perhaps the players can actually affect that. Like mm -hmm. you have um, an elemental or an ooze or something along those lines Ooh, that ooze. that have the ability to you know be a little bit more amorphous in what they actually are. Uh, your wizard hits it with a fire spell, and now it resists that. You know, it's got kind of like a type change that's actually tied to the player. So it's not just every Ooh. round, it's... It, every it's, hit. Yeah, it's responsive to what you're doing. This requires you to be, again, descriptive. Honestly, the hardest part about doing any puzzles is just describing things right so your players have the right clues to figure things out. But, again, when you get it right, it's a really minty encounter. All right, let's theorycraft this a step further, because I've got an idea. And now this would probably only work at high levels, because you would need access to a wide variety of damage types and conditions. But say you've got a party of maybe, like, level 17 or higher, like, truly high-level professional adventurers. They've seen everything. They walk into this, maybe, let's do something a little interesting here. It's a perfectly spherical chamber that has no other exits. Okay. Door seals in and then fuses with the wall. The internal wall is now one solid object. You're not disintegrating that. You're not move-earthing it or anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're trapped in here. And there's an ooze puddled in the bottom. Just an ooze. You're a high-level adventurer. You've seen oozes of all kinds. What possible threat could this be? So your fighter wins initiative and runs up and hits it with his greatsword. Deals an appreciable amount of damage. And then he goes in for his extra attack... And now he's only dealing half damage. Now he makes his third attack and nothing happens. So you, what you have here is a creature that the first time it takes a damage type, it gains resistance. If it takes damage from a damage type that it resists, it shifts to immunity. So this probably not even particularly threatening ooze is now gradually becoming nearly impossible to destroy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That really only works at high levels. If done at low levels, you're going to run out of damage types. Yes. But done at high levels, you have to keep switching it up the whole time, which really helps to get people off of some habits. For for some characters, this is going to be maybe a bit of an issue if they don't have different weapon types to be able to hit with or mm -hmm. if you have multiple people who deal like slashing or piercing damage, very common things like that. Of course, then you could switch over to magical slashing or piercing damage. I, I would definitely recommend separating those out. That would mm -hmm. be great. Um, however, this would definitely get your casters off of their like Eldritch Blast for the one millionth time. <laughs> you know, just whenever they're like low level or mid level go to spell, it's like, ah, fireball, fireball. And then like the third fireball hits, and it's like, uh oh. The third fireball doesn't even phase it, slightly deforms it from the force of the explosion, but then it just continues moving towards the wizard. Now, this can't have a lot of. How would you even calculate that CR? 
You know what? This is your project for mm. later. Let's talk about other types of puzzle encounters <laughs> while you work out the math on that. So, I, want, I want to say if you lower its hit points enough, it's totally feasible. Give it not a lot of hit points because it's only going to take full damage the first time each different type of attack hits it. That's fair. Yeah, I could... I'll get back to that. We gotta get out of this room first. Right, so I should get to the next kind of uh, puzzle encounter. (laughs) Now, I think it should go without saying that phases in a boss battle, they work pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, But having triggers for those phases. So, that's where I think a good puzzle element comes in. I once did one where I had a shield golem, but the shield golem was fused with like this giant tree and vine network. Mm-hmm. the shield golem was actually being controlled by its old master, which was a spirit within the tree. And in order to, you know, get past the golem itself, which you could not damage, you had to first specifically attack the tree. And that was good for two reasons. One, it cut off the spell casting, as a druid used to be its uh, its commander, master. master. I don't know why I said commander. Creator. Creator. Thank you. I think <laughs> I've been playing too much magic. Anyway. Maybe. Uh, everybody first had to specifically target the tree. I loved running this fight. It was like a three-hour fight in 5th edition because there was so much that you could do. A couple of people might have also tried to escape the room, which was clearly inescapable. It was like obvious boss arena, and you had to get past this this creature. three of the five party members spent the entire fight trying to leave the room. No, no, no. You guys eventually all got on the same page. But (laughs) until that point... I think my only issue was, and I can't reiterate this enough, you have to be descriptive. I was saying that you guys hit the AC of the monster as a whole, but it was still dealing no damage. Um, No, or I was saying... I wasted almost all my smites before I caught the hint. I actually didn't catch on right away. (laughs) My point was, is I wasn't being... I wasn't cluing you guys in enough that you had to attack the tree network first before you could fight the golem itself. It was being protected. So Mm -hmm. this was less of like a phase where it's like, okay, monster transforms into another monster or big monster dies, little monsters pop out. Not one of those kinds of things. It was you had to specifically target different areas and take the hint that way. Um, I love just love doing stuff like that. It adds a little bit of value to people who fight at range or fight with different types of attacks because they can actually do stuff. It lends itself better with additions that have great combat maneuvers. We're getting something, knocking something prone or even getting on top of it, mounting the monster and just stabbing the crap out of it, hitting its Mm -hmm. weak points. And I mean, this is very shadow of the Colossus. If you want to go really big, there's only one way to kill it. You got to hit that weak spot. Yep. I love those, but the key is to be descriptive. There's no visual clues that are going to tell you this unless you really put a glowing red button on your miniature. <laughs> Nothing is going to tell the players this. Uh, so you have to be descriptive. And that was my one flaw to this day. I loved running that fight, but everybody else felt a little bit lukewarm about it because I didn't give you enough hints to mm-hmm. beat it earlier and to progress a little bit more later. Although I do still stand by the fact that if you are trying to escape the clearly inescapable boss room and you are not helping your friends, your friends are probably going to feel a little bit lukewarm about the encounter. I maintain that while I made some mistakes as a new DM to 5th edition, you guys made some mistakes as to actually playing the game. I don't don't actually want to stir anything up, but I'm going to just have the open-ended question. How is it that when I, I hear this all the time, players want to have more combat, but then like when I give you guys a combat, you either try to talk your way out of it or uh, 
get the monster as a pet or run away from it. <laughs> like, here, guys, look, I've created this amazing combat for you. You have been asking for a fantastic encounter this entire time. We are going to run away. But why? You have all of your spell slots. You're well rested. I gave you potions on the way in. You have a holy weapon right there. There's a glowing button on the monster that says destroy monster. Just hit it. We are going to choose to run away, and then we are going to use our Stone of Featherfall, a real item that appeared in my game. We're going to use our Stone of Featherfall and, <laughs> and, and gently fall off the roof of this uh, chapel. Sure. Go ahead. Good luck. Okay. That's that's weird. That's... That was That was your group. That was your group. I know you didn't do it, but that was your group. I mean, I do have... Like, it depends on what character I'm playing. Like, my my bard is just some teenager who's been roped into this adventure that he is he feels totally unprepared for. So he's gonna avoid every fight he can. That's fair. Meanwhile, my big damn hero character is gonna be like, did they do anything wrong? I mean, if I can convince this person to just go home and work a normal job, I'm gonna do it. Okay, but... hold on a second. <laughs> In all fairness, I've... I've thrown very few bandits at you in that campaign, and very many giant murder monsters. He does fight the murder monsters. Thank you. I very okay. much appreciate it. Yes. I, I will smite a murder monster. All right. How about we come back to that later, and we'll get off this tangent, and we'll go back talking about more types of puzzle encounters, fights. Fights. Okay. Fights with puzzle elements. Yes. I haunt exist, and I don't have a good name for this other thing. I'll work on that while you talk about uh, stuff with lair actions, because yes. those can have some really interesting built-in puzzle mechanics to them. Yeah, they're sort of like the the default like template for what a puzzle encounter would be in 5th edition. And that's just giving your monster a lair. Something extra they can do on initiative count 20. And, you know, we'd be making a pretty big mistake if we didn't call out specifically things like the Lich and the, the Mummy Lord. Because mm -hmm. these are some admittedly brutal monsters already, and then they get to do extra stuff when it's not even their turn because of legendary actions, and now they can do even more things with their lair, and they can mess with you just because you're in their territory. You don't even have to be in a fight with them for mm -hmm. them to use their lair actions. And they can do some pretty absurd things, like the Lich can fire off this high damage bomb at you if it knows where you are just because you're in its lair. And that's, that's pretty crazy. That's something that you have to play around. You need to count on every other turn. Someone's probably going to take a buttload of necrotic damage. And you have to deal with that. For what it's worth, a lot of those, they go back a little bit into like just traps and being a general threat. But it does add a sense of urgency to be in something's lair or territory. I mean, I come back to Curse of Strahd just because I think a lot of people are familiar with it. But Strahd functions basically the same way, too. He has control over all of Barovia, and if you get too comfortable sitting down somewhere just trying to figure shit out, he'll come and screw up your day. Yeah. Or your night. Or just make fun of you. Or just make fun of you. Craig had to make fun of us a lot. Yeah, he, he showed up to talk to us all the time. I actually really like that Strahd. A cocky <laughs> Strahd who thinks he's going to win. I like mm -hmm. that Strahd. That's my, that is it's, my Strahd, because I like to punch him in the face later. It's way better than the, the Strahd I had who was... Very passive. and he, he was sort of passive. He relied on his minions to do it a lot. But it was the 3.5 version of him. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he, he had a lot more powerful minions and lieutenants that you had to deal with throughout the course of the adventure instead of going up and dealing with you himself. Which 
almost makes him more arrogant because he's like, I don't need to deal with you. I have people for that. But at the same time... I'm too busy crying in my tower. <laughs> at the same time, I do like the idea of never really knowing if you're dealing with him yourself because some of his minions will show up and pose as him. Or he will mm-hmm. pose as his minions just kind of watching things happen. Oh. I I think what was cool about the way he messed with us in our party was he never came... Like, if he ever came in person, he never came as Strahd. He'd show up as a wolf or as a flock of bats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it would never just be, oh, there's a vampire lord, we should run. It was, that pack of wolves has one, has, like, the leader of that pack of wolves is acting kind of weird. It just winked at me. Like, you, like, you know how some dogs blink asynchronously? That was a wink and a grin. <laughs> I don't know any dogs that blink asynchronously. <laughs> just for what it's worth, I don't know any. <laughs> I'm sure there's one out there, but I don't know one. Um, And, you know, actually, Strahd is a good example of just kind of, like, putting puzzles and everything because lowering his challenge is all about getting the item, like, figuring out what the uh, fortune is in the beginning, getting the items, the various MacGuffins, which is pretty standard adventuring fare, but you don't need those things to go right up to the gates of his castle and be like, hey, asshole, we're here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a smart thing to do, but... You don't it's have very... to do those things. So there's like there's levels to how you can go about approaching it and how much you want to figure out and how many people you want to help and mysteries you want to solve along the way. So it's like his is just a nice little amalgamation of all those things, but it needs more haunts. 7.8 out of 10 needs more haunts. Yeah, as it stands now, it's very Dark Soulsy. Mm-hmm. You can go fight the boss right away if you feel like the worst fight of your life. Or you can go around, gear up a little bit, gain a few extra levels... Uh, break his magic rocks. Yeah, you should definitely break... Anytime you see a glowing rock, (laughs) you should always break it. I don't know if this is in the 5th edition version in Curse of Strahd, but in Expedition to Castle Ravenloft, he has a sunstone that lets him walk around in broad daylight. You should break all of his rocks. And if you don't break that, the sunlight spell has no effect on him. Uh Uh-oh. It's pretty brutal. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh, back more onto the point of like the actual fights themselves, though, uh, I would I feel like everything would be incomplete if I didn't just kind of talk about reinforcements and minions a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, reinforcements, I love bringing them in as a way to kind of keep the party on their toes, like have waves of fight. One, it takes the pressure off of me for not having enough miniatures for any particular instance where I want to have like a bigger, grander battle. Yeah, just trickle them in. But two, having the opportunity for the party to like cut off reinforcements, like you're all fighting in one area, but you know that like the barracks over there, if you let everybody get geared up over there, you're going to have like double the people to fight next round. So having somebody go over and, like, try to block off uh, an entrance for somebody to, like, enter into the fight and screw up the whole plan that you have going on, that is an opportunity to, you know, incorporate puzzles into your actual encounter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, hell, if you just want to fight more stuff, why not? Yeah. It's always just fun to have, like, more waves of enemies that do weird different things and then having to try to figure out what the various strengths and weaknesses are as you go along. Also a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, you Another thing you could do with minions is have different minions buff the boss in different ways. Mm-hmm. So slaying the minions, sometimes maybe even in a specific order, might make the boss just that much easier. Like, say, 
this type of minion increases the boss's armor class if they're close enough to him. Uh, these ones give him different energy resistances. Uh, this one gives him regeneration. Things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, flavor them to taste. If you if this one is buffing his AC, maybe make it obvious that they're um, some type of, you know, fighter or something that's acting defensively for them. But mm-hmm. they wouldn't have all the same abilities. They could just be a trash minion with one extra ability that benefits their leader, Yes, I think. Um, kind of a pack tactic sort of thing, but not really. Yeah, reverse pack tactics. Yeah, reverse pack tactics, <laughs> yes. I feel like there are names for all of these things, but I have either been A, calling them by older names, or B, never bothered to look it up, and I just sound dumb. You know, there's a fourth edition core book right there that probably absolutely, has all the right words. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Nope. I think I feel like you've just been describing fourth edition combat mm-hmm. for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we have not. I don't accept that as a reality. There are no half orcs in my fourth edition core rulebook, and I'm mad about it still. It's been two years, and I'm still mad. Uh, uh, last but not least, don't forget about traps. If you want to heighten the tension of of traversing this long abandoned dungeon, and you didn't have time to look up any you know puzzles or or riddles or anything. Just whip out your DMG, throw a couple of level-appropriate traps in there, and have the party deal with those. It's the tried-and-true method of, you know, making it just a little bit harder to get through an area. Mm-hmm. And they have the added benefit of expending a little bit of your party's resources if you want to wear them down a little bit before that boss fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, not really a puzzle element to them. It's, again, another one of those things where, similarly to Haunts, It's your character's abilities to do everything is right there in the game. The players don't have to overthink it. They just need to be uh, attentive, invested in the game, and ready to go. So to call them a puzzle, eh. But, you know, it's a good alternative for those of us out there who are part of the We Can't Make Puzzles Club. That would be me. Although it sounds like together, John, you and I, we could almost build a really good dungeon here. We're getting there. Yeah, we are. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much covers all of it. Puzzles, they're they're fun, they're awesome, they're a little yeah. bit of work to set up, but when you execute them correctly, they tend to be some of the most memorable parts about your dungeons, your encounters, and your big boss fights. Yeah. Yeah. We also learned that undead are really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a given. That's why I play yeah. one in one of the campaigns. <laughs> Ooh, but which campaign do I play it in? going to be wondering anyway we have a green text now i just want to say before we read this green text this is a good green text it is we found this one while looking for the countdown story Mm -hmm. we were going to just read the original countdown story but as it turns out the countdown story is again it's one of those ones that's just kind of out there it it happens it's a flash in the pan and then again it is gone from the zeitgeist and then another Sad, sad group of adventurers has to experience it down the line. You never know when it'll crop up, but when it does, it's a beautiful moment. Anyway, here's a different story. Tonight's D&D green text comes to us from Reddit user Xvind and is titled B is for Big Red Button. Be me, frat D&D. Slowly have groomed my wonderful band of misfits into quasi-capable adventurers. They finally started checking for traps. Keeping this in mind, I decided to be a proper DM and make them paranoid. Thus, 
The Button Curse. Each dungeon, each combat scenario, every tower and keep and cave would have one room with a big red button. The first time, it even had a sign saying, Do not push. Shooting fish in a barrel.jpg. It's the fighter, of course, who practically slam dunks it. Rocks fall. Nobody dies. A lot of ones were in that dice pool. Party heals up. Fighter presses it again. More rocks fall. Cleric's faith in humanity dies. Luckily, they leave before he presses it again. But he's been marked. Dining with a local noble, the fighter is served on a silver platter, a big red button. He hits it, and the noble dies of poison. The party is accused. In the dungeon, his cell has the big red button. It's his new best friend, no matter what people yell at him. One press later, and all the cell doors open. All of them, including the one containing the Lord's pet manticore. Mostly for shits and giggles, the fighter, in his mania, believed he'd reached an accord with the button. It made life more interesting, and helped the party at a cost. Button appears at a tavern? Insta-bandits. Button at a tournament? Everyone fails a death save. Button in a graveyard? White, white baby. The fighter was of course wrong, but that didn't stop him. To be honest, it really wasn't fair. When I brought in an actual big red button to the frat house, and the 20th press summoned a red dragon. The immediate press after, twice in the span of 30 seconds, rocks fall, the dragon dies. Button levels up. I like the anecdotal evidence, but I have been trying to figure out since we first read this what exactly the mechanics of the button are. I don't are think they, there are any. Is it a plot button? Because it seems to do stuff related to the plot, but then random button? Does it? Does Do you just get a random roll of wacky shit that happens? Because a dragon falls immediately by rocks, fall dragon dies? I don't know. No, no, so the party didn't get any experience for it. All that XP went right into the button. It gained a level. Oh, God. What happens when the button levels up? Nobody knows. I don't like that. <laughs> But I do really like that. The idea of a... of like The curse of the big red button. It, it's almost like a weird sort of deck of many things curse, or wad, rod of wonder curse. Oh, it totally is. It's like, oh, well, this is here, and you are compelled to do stuff with it no matter what. I love it. Um, not really a puzzle so much as just a thing that happens. Yeah, but we found it while looking for... The button. Probably one of the best-known puzzles of yeah, all time. Yeah, the button, so... Uh, you know, it's always fun to mix up what the button does. That's I think that seems fair. Mm. Um, we might want to talk about curses in the future, though. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. We've got other things. I've that... read the Book of Vile Deeds. I know what you can do with a curse. As I was saying, we have other things that we are planning first, and now I'm a little <laughs> concerned. Um, but we'll get around to curses. I think curse would be a fun one to do. But before all of that, I think it's time for some announceables. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't have any more conventions coming up, and I can't tell you how happy I am about that. <laughs> it has been, it's been a busy year this past year. It was a busy year last year. We know it's going to get busier next year. I hope everything is spaced out in a way that I can handle it. 
But, of course, at these things, we have wonderful experiences. We still have a Yomacon bonus episode coming up. That's mm-hmm. just going to kind of come out randomly sometime in the next two weeks here. We'll recap what happened, talk a little bit about some of the interesting sessions and players and stuff that we had. Good group this year. Very um, good group this year. Really quick shout-out to all of our groups that came to Yomacon. I can't tell you how flattered I am that you guys are there like two hours before our sessions begin to build characters that you're really dedicated to that. Thank you everybody who showed up. Like, thank you for your dedication. Thank you for, like, I don't think I had a a group that I didn't genuinely just enjoy playing with. It was such a good experience. Yeah, special kudos to the Ashardalons End adventuring party who took, I don't know how long out of their weekend to write up level 20s so that we could start on time. Mm -hmm. That was... A fantastic session. Uh, I was not expecting the first hour of the session to be them putting up buffs, but that's how it worked. That's how it <laughs> happened. Uh, thank you to my <laughs> players. I got to run the Tainted Dragon for the first time at a convention, and it it turned out to be a really great adventure, something mm-hmm. that we have to get a write-up for and get up onto DM's Guild. Uh, John's behind on getting stuff up on DM's Guild. I, but... I am. We've been busy lately, but our, our schedule's a little lighter now. Yes. So hopefully we can see some stuff coming up here soon, provided the holidays don't completely wipe us. I forgot about the holidays. Family obligations. They exist. They exist. <laughs> oh, I don't think we've seen our family since we started con season. Uh-oh. <laughs> we have a lot of catching up to do. But in other news, something interesting that is happening this upcoming weekend for anybody who lives in like the Cleveland area, if you know this area, if you know what I'm talking about, a new game store has just opened up. Rogue's Den. It's on Pearl Road in Parma. And I actually have some of my artwork in there for my cards, my miniatures and stuff like that. So you mm-hmm. can actually check out my stuff. And we're planning on, you know, maybe getting groups together that we can run over there in the off time when we won't be at conventions. Yep. Yeah. So there's uh, It some... looks like they plan on starting up some Numenera mm-hmm. there. They've already got a couple of D&D games going, mm-hmm. but they wanted something a little different. So. Yeah. So if you're in the area, if you want to check out any of the D&D games that they have going, you can check out Rogue's Den. They have uh, pages on Facebook. I'll just go ahead and link all their stuff because all of my stuff is in there. So, of course, I want them to get a little bit of exposure and and be loved. Grand opening next weekend. The 23rd. Yeah. The grand opening is the 23rd. This episode will come out before that grand opening. Um, So, yeah, if you're looking for new games, new game groups, stuff like that, you're in the area, you can check them out there. Uh, and we will be there from time to time running our own stuff. And, you know, my stuff will be there, too. So check mm-hmm. it out. You should definitely check it out. It's very impressive. And the one other announceable is that I am making an official departure from Twitch. I, I'm not going to be streaming on Twitch anymore. If you've ever watched any of my streams on Twitch, um, I'm going to be doing everything exclusively on YouTube. I've tried out a lot of different platforms over this past year. I've decided I'm going to settle on YouTube and just start posting videos over there. So, you know, my trading cards, my miniatures when I do stuff. I'm going to have time-lapse paints over there for people who just kind of want to see see what happens. If you've ever followed me on, like, Instagram. Also, you know, us on Instagram and stuff like that. We've got our pictures of all of our minis and weird D&D stuff we're doing over there, too. So check it out. I just dropped my uh, D20, and I got a 6. I don't know what I was rolling for, but I got a 6, and now everybody knows it. <laughs> but yeah, that's just it. I'm going to be exclusively on YouTube for all of my other stuff related to that. And I may follow her over there. Mm-hmm. That is definitely one of those things that's taking up a lot of our time at the top, but I think it's going to be a good move for me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a positive move in the right direction. Other than that, I don't think we have any other announceables. I kind of no. like having a light schedule. It's going to be... It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all we gotta do now is figure out how to get out of here. It is getting really hot. Yeah, kind of. Oh, hey, wait. You know what? I know. I'll just open the window and then we can get some uh, fresh air. Here we go. Uh, uh, the, what? That's an open window. Let's just go out the window. Hey, you're right. We can't just go out the window. Yeah. Uh, I guess that ends this casting the cantrip. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.